0: You're listening to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature channel, appropriately enough, here on Emirates. I'm Steve Harvey, and when I showed the lineup of authors on today's show to my 15-year-old daughter, the one that elicited a squeal of delight was none other than my next guest, Ali Sparks. Welcome to Emirates. Right now, only your voice is on Emirates, but in a few months from now, you'll be jetting off in person to Dubai looking
1: forward to your visit I can't wait for it and thank you thank you for your daughter squealing that you you know how to make an author very happy
0: (laughs) and you've never been to Dubai
1: no no I haven't I heard so much about it from fellow authors they said to me Ali you have to go if you ever get the option to go to Dubai then you must do it
0: it's a wonderful festival
1: so I've heard yeah I'm going to have to say it's going to have to be really good after all the bigging up that everybody's been giving it
0: you won't be disappointed. Now, how come this is your first visit to the festival? I mean, have you been shipwrecked on a desert island for the last 10 years?
1: No, so I've been sending letters pleading with you for sending to send me out there for, for years and years. And finally, somebody relented and said, all right, let's get sparks out. So, no, I do think it's, it's, it's happenstance, really. And a lot of us uh, children's authors in particular, the time that you're running it is the busiest time in the calendar for us. It's World Book Day week back in, in England and, and across Britain. And, and the whole of March tends to fill up with huge amounts of events. So this is literally the first year that somebody offered and got in close enough to organise the schedules so that there actually was still time to organise and come to I couldn't have come earlier on but happily you've extended the festival and I have got time to come in the latter part of it.
0: Now, I've been doing my research and I, of course, went to your website and I have to say I absolutely loved it. Brilliant. What a fabulous website. You must have had great fun putting it together. AliceSparks.com?
1: That's the one, yes. A couple of a year and a half ago, I think it was, um, Oxford Children's Books and collaborated with my own website, designer that I've been with for some years and and we kind of revamped it all to make it much more tablet and phone friendly so it is quite it's quite funky actually it's almost too funky for me um but but younger people I'm told know how to work it <laughs> uh, but yeah it's, it's got a it's got a nice gallery of books on it and we've got some great trailers we've filmed lots of trailers for various books and those are the things I'm probably proudest of
0: you grew up in Southampton and was it always your aim to be an author
1: Um, No, no. When I was growing up, I wanted to be an, an actress and a singer and I was absolutely determined so to be. And uh, for many years I was working towards that and had sort of modest success during my childhood. I did a little bit of telly, a little bit of theatre um, and then I went up to London to try to get into drama school and then I got rejected by RADA and then I got rejected by Lambda and I got rejected by Rose Bruford, then I got rejected by Webber Douglas, then I got rejected by the Welsh College of Music and Drama. Even the Welsh rejected me, although they did recall me first. They were nicer about it. Um, so basically I got rejected by every drama school in London and beyond for a couple of years and eventually um, went off to be a, a Pontins blue coat at a holiday camp on East uh, East Anglia. Well that can
0: be quite theatrical. <laughs> it
1: was. Well I thought I'd get an equity card, you know the card you need to be able to, to perform in the UK on stages and uh, I, I, that was a, a complete uh, fallacy. You, you can't get an equity card by being a Pontins blue coat or even a Butlins red coat or any kind of coloured coat for any kind of holiday camp in the country. Uh, but it did, It bizarrely, this is a little foreshadowing of what was to come because I ended up being a children's auntie at Pontins, this holiday camp. Uh, basically, you were you were assigned to look after the kids. And I was 18, 19 at the time and absolutely horrified by this. I thought I was going to hit the big time singing in cabaret every night. And I was spending my time going down the beach with a bunch of snotty kids that I'd never met before. But it turned out that I really, really lucked out because I got the best job of all. The kids were brilliant. I got on really well with them. We had a little theatre and we did shows for the kids. So it was brilliant. And that was my realisation that actually me and kids communicated pretty well. Um, And then after that, I got back to my hometown in Southampton, had to get a proper job, ended up being a reporter on the local newspaper, then moved across to work for the BBC as a broadcast journalist and eventually ended up writing books for children. So it all came full circle in the end. So when
0: did you first put pen to paper?
1: I was... um, Actually, not very good to start with. I was a bit iffy as a a reader and writer when I was young. And that's because I was a bit of a product of the experimental 60s. Actually, it was was early 70s by the time I went to school. And they decided they were going to start messing around with the way they taught kids to read so for example i expect you learned a b c d and all of that but but we got something in the groovy 1970s slightly different every letter of the alphabet got its own special name and its own special color and its own special action so instead of m i got three-legged orange and instead of f i got floppy lilac and instead of i i got pink with a dot on the top And as you can imagine, I singularly failed to learn the alphabet and to read for quite some time, as did all the other kids in my year group. And so when I moved to a new school, because we moved house, I was about six, we moved to a new school, and I was literally the slowest reader in school. I was behind everybody else. And that might have gone on for quite some time, but then I was down at the local library in Southampton, the Cobbett Road Library, which I'm now a patron of, and uh, I picked up my first uh, famous five book, and then everything changed. I became a reader. And then shortly after that, by now, in secondary school, I sent off my first series of, not just one book, okay, but a series of books that I'd written, very much inspired by the famous five, to Penguin Books Limited. Um, and, I got and what back. Happened? Well, a few weeks later, I got a letter back, and it was my first ever rejection letter. <laughs> Uh, from Penguin Books, <laughs> one of many rejection letters to follow in my life. So, so that's really how it started. It was a bit stop start but bearing in mind this was all kind of for fun because, remember, I wanted to be an actress and a singer. I was aiming for the West End of London and possibly Hollywood. That, you know, writing was just for fun. It wasn't really taken seriously at that point in my life.
0: I bet Penguin Books are kicking themselves now.
1: Oh, so many times and in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, really, for the first few years of your life, you were rejected as an actor and then rejected as a novelist. Yeah, well, don't mean... rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, but yet you bounce back beautifully. I mean, it, it, is this a, a message you would give to aspiring authors? In it's very
1: much the method, message, actually, When I'm, particularly when I'm talking to, to kids in schools about how I got to be an author. And, you know, that story about you know, the, the alphabet is part of that. And I think one of the reasons why I've, I've succeeded ultimately in, in getting published as an author is because of that early rejection that I learned to deal with. I had brilliant parents. I used to go for auditions for roles and quite often I would get them, quite often I didn't get them. And when I didn't get them, they'd say to me, look, it's not because you're rubbish. It's just that you do not fit what they are looking for. They're looking for something slightly different. It's not you. Um, It's nothing to do with your talent. And so when I started sending off stories and getting them rejected by publishers and agents pretty much apply, applied the same thinking it wasn't because the story was rubbish in fact often the letters from them were very complimentary saying they really loved reading it It just wasn't kind of what they were looking for it's the same thing you need to find your right fit and you'll have to throw a lot of a lot of um books at the wall before it they stick um and eventually hopefully they stick with the correct editor i'm mangling my metaphors here but that's what i do for a living
0: i'm <laughs> mangling your metaphors yeah. um so what was the right formula in the end
1: The right formula was um, Oxford University Press for me and the fabulous um, Liz Cross, who is is my editor there. And the the book that first made it was, um, uh, I called it at the time, I called it Dax Jones and the Cola Club. um, And it's about a boy called Dax Jones who one day discovers that he's a shapeshifter and he can turn into a fox. And the adventures that follow with various other kids who who then meets up with a a secret school who've all got special powers and so on. And uh, this was uh, initially of interest to born Books. They were really into it and then they rejected it. Um, but they, in rejecting it, because the, the editorial team all wanted it but the marketing team didn't. It's often the way it goes. It's a tiny slip that sometimes changes your fortunes. Um, but the, the lovely lady there who I spoke to did recommend a good agent for me and that agent was the one that found me, Liz, at OUP and the book deal eventually happened. It took about a year. It was actually a new millennium resolution to start sending stuff off. So in the year 2000, I started focusing on sending off scripts and books and it was 2004 that OUP and I connected and early 2005 that I actually signed a book deal with them so total of about five years so yeah that is my message you can have to stick at it usually for around about that time if not longer before you get success and you've got to be resilient
0: and how many books have been published up to date
1: 42 now 42 yeah That's... <laughs> go me God, 42 what... <laughs> wow a
0: veritable machine
1: <laughs> some of them are very short
0: yes that's fantastic. You must feel so elated.
1: Well, not permanently, because that would be too exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are times when I look along my shelf of titles and I do sort of double take and think, do I really write all those? Um, yeah, it's a bit bizarre.
0: The Shapeshifters have given way to a new series of books, haven't they?
1: Unleashed, mm. yes. Well, Unleashed is a follow-on series from Shapeshifter. Shapeshifter was a five-part series. That just really went down. It's got a very passionate Fan base still has. There are kids now who were in university who are still writing to me about the Shapeshifter books they picked up when they were in school, which shows you how long I've been doing this now. But because it was a five-part series and it was always designed that way, and the story arc completed at book five, and then I kept getting letters from people saying, Please write more. What I didn't want to do is then just carry on with Shapeshifter because it would have been like like adding a rather ugly extension to an already quite nice house, I felt. Um, so I decided to do a series of spin-off adventures featuring characters from Shapeshifter, so it wasn't always from the point of view of Dax Jones, the main protagonist. Uh, it was from different characters, his friends and his enemies in that series. And so Unleashed is another five-parter. And then if you've read all those, then you've got another shapeshifter, which I wrote a couple of years ago, which came out last year, shapeshifter of um, Feather and Fern. So uh, that's the, the kind of the, the closing book that pulls all of them together. Oh, they say closing book. You know, I never say never.
0: Never say never. Never. Fingers crossed, everyone. Tell me about
1: Thunderstrike. Thunderstrike, it's quite dear to me, actually, because it is actually set in my hometown of Southampton, although I call it East Hampton in the book. And it's actually inspired by a true story. My kids and I used to walk uh, to school um, and we used to cut across part of Southampton Common, which is a cemetery. There's a cemetery on the edge of Southampton Common. And as you cut through it, through the gravestones, there's a grave on, on your right hand side as you walk through the gates. And it's to a young man called Douglas uh, Lane, who died aged 18 with his two friends while sheltering under a tree on Southampton Common when the tree got struck by lightning. So all three kids wiped out by a lightning strike back in 1955, Go I think. Off. True story. So I used to walk past that with my kids and we often sort of looked at it and used to wonder and think how terribly sad it was and what a story. And then some years later, I just had the notion of writing a story about um, a couple of kids who got struck by lightning on Southampton Common in the modern day who survived but thereafter could see and ultimately speak to the ghosts of two other kids who got struck back in the past on the same common in the same kind of place. Um, so that is where the inspiration came from. And I've got so only two characters, not not the full three, that actually did get struck by lightning because three was a little bit too cumbersome to deal with. Um, but, but Dougie and Lizzie in my book are based on Douglas Lane and Elizabeth Bolton, who died in South in Southampton. And I had to do a fair bit of research, mm-hmm. went to the local paper, looked up all the the cuttings, even managed to get in touch with somebody who was a, a college mate of, of Douglas to tell me a little bit about him as well. And it really chokes me up, actually, when I actually think about it and, and I read the stories and I read the inquest it became very very real um, and so the, the book is, is dedicated to Douglas Crane wherever he may be or Douglas Lane wherever he may be my character's called Douglas Crane I don't know if his family have read it I know that people still put flowers on the grave I didn't want to dig them up and say hey I've written a book because that seemed a little bit insensitive but I really do hope if it does come to their attention at some point that they approve because it, it's it's a, a, a sort of fairly fast paced action adventure and it's, it's a ghost story But it has got a real sweetness at its heart. And I really hope that if they ever do read it, that they'll approve and and not be hurt by it.
0: Well, with 42 books under your belt so far, I imagine you're working on at least another six right now.
1: Um, Literally, yes. (laughs) I've written, uh, I'm, I'm, book, I'm on book two of a new five part series, which actually, the first one, Sleepless, will be out as I arrive at the festival oh, in brilliant, March. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and it's called, yes, yeah, Night Speakers is the series, and Sleepless is the first book. And I'm currently working on the second one, which is a work entitled Breathless. It's not going to be all lesses, it's not going to be <laughs> s- sleepless breathless, tuneless, helpless. (laughs) The first two might be a less, but the others won't be. So yes, and that's that's a five-part series. And there's also another spur spin-off book that I'm kind of almost simultaneously writing. I am a bit like that. I often overtake myself with new ideas and then have to start something else at the same time, which is not, not really what I'd recommend for any author, but sometimes I can't help it.
0: And any idea yet what you'll be doing in Dubai? Um, hopefully you'll be visiting some schools.
1: That is the plan. I'm doing the kind of the outreach, getting out and about. Whenever I go to an area, if I can get beyond the main festival site too, I always like to do that. I love to get onto a festival site and enjoy the whole festival atmosphere, but it's lovely to do a bit of outreach and get out and see a little bit of the, the country around you. So, yes, I will definitely be going out and, and meeting some schools. We're organising that now and hopefully some panels and Really, I'm up for all kinds of fun. I want to get out and see a little bit of the country too, um, but I'm I'm definitely up for doing as much as I can while I'm out there.
0: Well, it's been great talking to you, Ali. Thank you so much for joining us on Emirates World today. Uh, you'll have a ball out there. Trust me, I've been to all 10 festivals now and there hasn't been a dud one yet. So you'll have <laughs> a fantastic time.